Volume 2, Chapter 1 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmask, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 1 And ye who for living lost that agony in secret bear, who shall with soothing words accost the strength of your despair. Bryant. From the same to the same. October 29th. Scarcely a couple of hours after I last wrote, I was startled by a messenger from Mrs. Willard, who inquired if Mrs. Merritt was dining with me. I answered that I had not seen her since two o'clock, at which hour she left here. Dinner has been waiting some time, and Mrs. Willard thought that Miss Merritt must certainly be with her, replied the man who brought the message. He hastened away, and though I could not satisfy myself I had any especial cause of uneasiness, I was agitated and alarmed. After giving a few directions to Blanche, I hurriedly attired myself in a warm garment, for the weather is growing exceedingly cold, and stepped into one of the Broadway omnibuses, which soon transported me to Mr. Merritt's door. The family were assembled in the dining-room. Consternation was painted upon every face. Evelyn had not returned. Mr. Merritt was the first one who accosted me with, "'How kind it is of you to come to us,' said he. "'Where can Evelyn be? At what hour did she leave you? Can you imagine what has become of her?' "'She left me at about two o'clock,' I replied, in as calm a tone as I could command. "'She was home a few minutes before three, said Ellen, "'and her manner was so strange that it terrified me. "'I found her in the nursery, kneeling by the baby's cradle.' I spoke to her several times before she heard. The instant she noticed me, she snatched up little Lila, and covered her lips, cheeks, and forehead, even her little dimpled hands and feet, with the most passionate kisses. Then she laid the child back in the cradle, and rocked it to sleep again. In a few moments she rose up and commenced walking about the room, and I saw her take up a little pink shoe of the baby's, which was lying on the bureau. Thrusting the shoe into her pocket, she left the room. I followed her, but she appeared so much absorbed by her own thoughts that I was almost afraid to speak. After leaving the nursery, she went into my room and walked about as though she were examining the furniture. She snatched from the table a small book which I had just been reading, but observing me, laid it down again. A moment afterwards she stole out of the room and went into her own chamber. I could not help accompanying her, and she did not prevent me from doing so. For several minutes she glided thoughtfully about her own apartment, as she had walked through the nursery and mine. I again asked her if she were ill. She embraced me, and then, looking tenderly in my face, said, Ellen, promise that you will always love me, always and forever. 
You could never hate me because I was miserable, could you? I hardly know what I answered, but after kissing me again, she begged that I would leave her. I withdrew to my own room and heard her turn the key of her door. I supposed that she was still in her chamber when mother came and told me Evelyn could not be found. To this narration I replied, Well, after all, I do not see there is any great cause for alarm. You know that Evelyn has very strange ways, and Mr. Merritt seized upon this idea as though he found it consoling one, and said, Yes, yes, she has very strange ways at times. They mean nothing. They are natural to her. They used to alarm me, but now I am accustomed to them. I am not in the least frightened. Perhaps she felt nervous, and has gone to take a walk, thinking that the fresh air will restore her, suggested Mrs. Willard. It must have been late when she started, and she probably has forgotten that it was dinner time. We were all willing to reassure ourselves with this belief, and instantaneously adopted Mrs. Willard's views. "'I think dinner had better be served, Walter,' continued Mrs. Willard. "'I can easily keep Evelyn's warm, and if she has taken a walk, she may not be here for some time.' "'As you please,' replied Mr. Merritt. "'Dinner was accordingly placed on the table, and we took our seats, but the dishes were soon removed, almost untasted.' Mrs. Willard's efforts and my own to dispel the gloom which hung over her husband, son-in-law, and daughter were unavailing. Ellen appeared even more dispirited than the others, and I saw that it was an effort that she could restrain her tears. "'There she is!' exclaimed Mr. Merritt, as a ring at the bell was followed by a light step in the entry. He rose from the table and hastily left the room— but returned with a disappointed look. It was Netta, carrying her empty basket to the kitchen. We could not bear to resume our seats at the table, for we had all risen with Mr. Merritt, and gathered round the fire. Laggingly and tediously the hours passed on, but still Evelyn came not. We had ceased to wonder aloud, and even to speak at all, and sat thoughtful and dejected. At the lightest sound of feet upon the front steps, and at every ring of the bell, Mr. Merritt, who had now thrown aside all disguise and ceremony, flew to the door. But every time he returned his look was sadder and more despairing. Twilight was approaching, and the servants entered to spread the table for tea. Mr. Merritt rose and rapidly paced the room. Every few moments he convulsively passed his fingers through his hair, and then, though by a great effort of self-control, thrust them into his pocket again. Suddenly he paused in his walk, immediately in front of my chair. With his hair disordered, and standing out about his head, his face almost livid in its parlour, his lips quivering, and his eyes dilated, you can readily conceive that he was an object to excite terror. "'Shall I go and look for her?' whispered he, in a hoarse and unnatural voice. I could not trust my tongue to speak, and bowed an assent. 
He snatched up his hat and left the house, followed by Mr. Willard, who was anxious to assist in the search. Mrs. Willard had left the room, and I was alone with Ellen. "'Miss Catherine, dear Miss Catherine,' said she, in an agitated tone, "'tell me what you think. What can have become of Evelyn?' "'Indeed, Ellen, I do not know what to think.' "'She looks so strangely this morning,' continued Ellen. "'I have long seen that she was unhappy, have you not? "'But I am sure that you have... "'And now, how could she do anything so wicked as... "'As to... to do what, Ellen? "'She said that her life was so miserable. "'Could she be so rash, so sinful as to... "'to put an end to it. "'Ellen, what a horrible thought!' I exclaimed. "'Evelyn commits suicide. "'Our beautiful, joyous, worshipped Evelyn. "'The idea is too appalling. "'Impossible. "'But where can she be? "'If any accident had occurred, "'we should have heard of it before now. "'Where can she be?' "'Perhaps she will soon be here to quiet all our fears,' I replied. "'We must wait patiently and hopefully. "'There may be nothing alarming in her absence.' "'Mrs. Willard now re-entered the room, "'but she appeared to be perfectly overcome, "'and I found it difficult to inspire her with hope, "'which I forced myself to feel. "'Another hour passed on. "'The clock was just striking seven when we heard a night-key turning the lock of the front door. Before we could leave our seats, Mr. Willard and his son-in-law burst into the room. "'She is found, is she not?' exclaimed Mr. Merritt. Not one of us could bear to give the sorrowful answer to this question. After one hurried glance around the apartment, he sank into a chair and fixed his eye upon the fire. Mr. Willard took his seat beside Ellen, as though she alone could comfort him, but alas, she had not the strength even to make the effort. A violent ring at the bell now aroused us. In an instant Mr. Merritt was at the door, and we heard voices in the entry. "'At last, at last!' ejaculated Mrs. Willard. "'It is some news of Evelyn. I know that it is. I heard somebody speak her name.' Although she uttered these words in a hopeful tone, she retained her seat. Perhaps she was unable to leave it. Every eye was turned expectantly to the door, but none moved. The voices were still audible. Our impatience was becoming intolerable when the sound ceased. The door opened, and Mr. Merritt entered, accompanied by Laura Hilson. "'Have you seen Evelyn?' was the simultaneous question. "'I cannot say that I have seen her,' replied Laura emphatically. "'But I know that she was seen this morning walking in Broadway with Colonel Damoreau.' "'That can have little to do with her present disappearance, Miss Hilson,' I answered reprovingly. I myself saw her meet Colonel Damoreau or some other gentleman just after her agreeable interview with you was at an end, but she has been home since then. Are any of her clothes missing? 
asked Laura in a peculiar tone, and without noticing my observation. Mr. Merritt turned to Mrs. Willard and said in a severe and commanding tone, Go and see. Mrs. Willard withdrew, but soon returned. Everything is there except her hat and shawl. The most dreadful certainty would be better than this horrible, this agonizing suspense, said Ellen, addressing me in a whisper. Laura overheard her words and answered, I disagree with you, Ellen. I think any doubt, any suspense, would be more tolerable than the terrible certainty which we now feel. What certainty, Miss Hilson? replied I, in a manner which was intended to awe Laura into silence, for I feared the effects of her malicious suggestions. The certainty that Evelyn has forsaken her home, answered Laura resolutely, but in accents which betoken grief and sympathy. Forsaken her home, repeated Mrs. Willard sharply. Pray, what do you mean, Miss Hilson? I dared not look at Mr. Merritt, but heard him gasp for breath as he supported himself upon the back of my chair. I mean what I say, my dear Mrs. Willard, replied Laura. My words are only susceptible of one interpretation. I mean that Evelyn has deliberately forsaken her home and her husband. I could control myself no longer, and addressing her with perhaps too much violence, I said, Laura Hilson, beware what you do. Remember that your evil machinations are known to me, and be sure that a holy power will frustrate them. Remember that I overheard your conversation with Evelyn this morning. You drove her to despair with your taunts and your vile accusations, and if she has committed any rash act, you only are responsible. She told you that she was innocent. You believed and you knew it, and yet tried to persuade her that in the sight of the world she was guilty and that she could never attain her position in society. You did this too. Pardon me, Miss Bolton, said Laura, with flashing eyes which contradicted the unnatural calmness of her voice. I will not accuse you of speaking falsely. I will only say that your memory is treacherous, or that you heard so imperfectly as unavoidably to misconstrue my words. I feared that Evelyn was acting very imprudently, and out of pure love for her, I warned her to awaken from her dream while there was yet time. So far from asserting her innocence, she, you force me to speak plainly, confessed that her affections were irrevocably engaged, and refused to listen to me when I besought her to remember that she was wife and a mother. Miss Hilson, I began, but she interrupted me. I have one more word to add, Miss Bolton, with your permission, for I have been induced to say too much not to say more. It is best for you, Mr. Merritt, for Evelyn's father, mother, sister, to know the truth at once, for the longer you anticipate it, the more it will shock you. I repeat that Evelyn has forsaken her husband and her home, and forsaken them for Colonel Damoreau. Mr. Merritt sat like one stupefied. He neither moved, nor uttered a groan, nor shed a tear. The blow seemed to have prostrated his very reason. Ellen threw her arms about Mr. Willard's neck, 
exclaiming, Father, do not believe it. And then, laying her head upon his shoulder, wept bitterly. After the first momentary shock, Mrs. Willard, her face scarlet with rage, darted towards Laura, and shaking her by the arm, shrieked out, Viper! She loved you, and you have stung her and us because we caressed you. Liar! You know that what you say is false, as false as it is insulting, as false as you yourself are. Then turning to Mr. Merritt, she added, Walter, she has not spoken the truth. Do not credit her malicious falsehood. Laura maintained her apparent composure, and addressing Mrs. Willard said, I have spoken truly, as you will soon discover, but grief and excitement have made you unconscious of what you say or do. Therefore, I pardon your injustice. You will perhaps sue for my pardon when you find that your unfortunate, I will not say unworthy daughter, is at this moment under the protection of Colonel Damereau. Laura had scarcely spoken these words when a step behind us and a slight cough, evidently intended to attract our attention, caused everyone present to turn towards the door. Imagine Laura's consternation, and our surprise and joy on beholding Colonel Damoreau himself standing smilingly before us. Mr. Merritt sprang from his seat, and warmly shaking the Colonel's hand, cried out, in a tone full of deep emotion, God bless you, my dear fellow. Pardon me that I wronged you for a moment. We all, except Laura, gathered around the colonel, overwhelming him with our irrepressible expressions of joy, and for a second Evelyn was forgotten. Colonel Damoreau very naturally looked bewildered at our strange greet and asked what had occurred. To inform him of Evelyn's disappearance was not to account for our unusual manner towards himself on his first entrance, but he was so much astonished and engrossed by the sorrowful news that he could not give a thought to any other subject. "'Great heaven! What can become of her?' ejaculated the colonel. "'When was she last home? I hope nothing serious has occurred.' Good heavens, where can she be? If you do not know, Colonel, said Laura pointedly, it cannot be supposed that we can imagine. Mr. Merritt suddenly turned towards Laura with a rebuke upon his lips, but she whispered a few repentant or exculpatory words in his ear which prevented its utterance. Upon my honour, it is a most singular circumstance. I feel quite alarmed, said the colonel. Mr. Merritt, had we better not employ ourselves in searching for the body? It is useless for us to stand idly here. If any accident has happened, we shall learn it at the city hospital. But first take a cup of tea. I see that everything is prepared. A good cup of hyson will strengthen your nerves. No, no, I need nothing, replied Mr. Merritt hastily. Let us go. As you please, answered Colonel Damoreau. Ladies, I hope to return with some intelligence which will set your minds at ease. The accident may prove a very trivial one. 
Do not therefore permit your imaginations to conjure up too many terrors. Good evening for the present. I will accompany them. I cannot endure to stay here, said Mr. Willard, following his son-in-law and the colonel out of the room. My heart is lightened, murmured Mrs. Willard, resuming her seat by the fire. Now we shall soon receive some news. It strikes me that the colonel was remarkably composed and did not even feign much astonishment. These words were spoken by Laura as though to herself, for they were not addressed to anybody in particular. Mrs. Willard only noticed them by an angry glance, and as I cared not to excite the serpent to shoot forth its venom, my indignation also was voiceless. One, two, three, four hours the gentlemen were absent. It was near midnight when they returned. No questions were asked, and no words spoken. Their dejected countenances plainly told how fruitless had been their search. Miss Bolton, Miss Hilson, whispered Colonel Demereaux, as though he was afraid that the sound of his voice would disturb the sorrow of the mourners. It is nearly twelve o'clock. Will you permit me to accompany you home? Laura instantly rose and sought her bonnet. I made a sign to the colonel that I would remain. Laura bade every one of us in turn good night, but the colonel merely bowed as he retired. His delicacy and thoughtful consideration raised him in my esteem. I insisted upon Ellen's seeking her couch, for it was worse than useless for her to trifle with her health, and after no little persuasion she reluctantly withdrew. Mr. Willard was prevailed upon by his wife to follow his daughter's example. For a short period Mr. Merritt and I were left together. Mrs. Willard was paying a visit to the nursery. "'Let us still hope,' said I, drawing my chair nearer to that of the wretched man. "'Miss Bolton, Miss Bolton,' he broke forth. "'Oh, if I could but know that she was alive! It would be too much happiness!' My poor Evelyn, I have not been kind enough to her. I was not always tender and gentle enough, was I? I reproach myself for a thousand things which I never thought of before. She was so bright and beautiful, so joyous, and sometimes I was sullen and careworn. I did not remember that I ought to forget my troubles beside her. But I loved her. You know how madly I loved her, Miss Bolton. I may confess it to you. You sympathize with me. You will not ridicule me for my infatuation. I loved her too, Mr. Merritt, replied I. Loved her most tenderly. But who could help loving her? True, true. She was so perfect, so surpassingly good and lovely. I did not dare show how proud I was of her beauty and brilliancy. And now to lose her. But that is not possible. I will not believe it. He shuddered while he spoke, as if it's some frightful idea, and after a few moments continued, I could never have borne that. One thing only I could never have borne, disgraced, dishonored. I could not, would not have survived that. The world's scorn would have killed me, but it could not be. 
It is too horrible for reality. I have never loved her too tenderly. She was too pure. It could never be. I echoed the word never, and in his joyful gratitude he almost embraced me. Our conversation was interrupted by the entrance of Mrs. Willard. We could not make up our minds to seek rest that night, and still clung to the hope that we should receive some intelligence of the lost one before morning. The fire was replenished by Mr. Merritt, and we drew our chairs closer to the hearth, for the cold was becoming intense. Mr. Merritt soon sank into his former state of despairing dejection, and Mrs. Willard, after interchanging a few words with me, laid back in her chair with her eyes fixed on vacancy, but her features working from suppressed emotion. A servant entered, but I motioned him to retire, and we remained undisturbed. Through that long, long night we sat sleepless, speechless, almost motionless, but even when the lamps flickered and slowly expired, the fire died out, and the dull, cold morning light began to streak through the half-closed shutters. Not even then were we quite hopeless. As the grey dawn faintly lighted the apartment, I observed that Mr. Merritt's eyes were closed, and I prayed that he might sleep. I scanned his features. I thought that he had grown old in a single night. His brow was knit and deeply furrowed. His whole face was unnaturally white. Even his lips were colorless, and a dark streak, which I had never before remarked, was visible beneath his closed eyes. I looked towards Mrs. Willard. She was also gazing at her son-in-law, and as her eye encountered mine, a deep groan burst from her lips. We neither of us ventured to speak for fear of breaking Mr. Merritt's slumber. Before long, the noisy feet of servants descending the stairs awoke him. He started, opened his eyes, and cried, Evelyn, how long has she been here? When did she come? Where is she? He looked confusedly about him in search of the lovely being whom he believed to be near, and only encountered Mrs. Willard's sorrowful looks and mind. Have you heard nothing, then? Nothing, was our mournful answer. It is morning. I will seek for her again, said he, rising. I shall find her. It seemed to me that I saw her only a moment ago. He left the room, and I, remembering that Blanche would be alarmed at my absence, prepared to return home. Mrs. Willard entreated me not to leave her, but I was forced to tear myself away, promising to return as soon as possible. On my way homeward, the fresh morning air revigorated me, and in spite of my sleepless vigils, I felt no fatigue. When I reached Fleecer's, the servant that unlocked the door to admit me stared, and gave utterance to an expression of surprise as I passed by him, but I did not pause to notice his remark. Blanche had not retired to her own bed, but was lying on the rug before the fire in my chamber, for I supposed that there was a fire in the grate when she laid down, although it was not entirely extinguished. She was quietly slumbering, and I threw myself upon my own bed without arousing her. I could not sleep, and after resting my limbs for about an hour I rose. 
My steps were so far from noiseless as I moved about the room that Blanche awoke. She showed no surprise on being me, and as she never by any accident ventures to ask questions, I cannot tell whether or not she is aware of my absence during the night. I did not make my appearance at the breakfast table because I dreaded to meet Laura Hilson. At noon, I shall see the Willards again. I had almost written, I shall see Evelyn. Would that I might behold her. End of chapter one.